arrived late this morning and missed getting up for the choir, too. That's a talent, isn't it? On the way to church this morning, I started listening to Handel's Messiah. The introduction is on sound system. It's music for a world that sits in darkness and gloom. It's music as it begins for a world not filled with joy, but for a season of sadness. As Pastor Matt has mentioned, uh, we are filled with the news, overwhelmed by the, the horrible situation in Newtown, Connecticut. The words of Psalm 137 come to mind. How can we sing the songs of the Lord when we are in a situation like that, when we live in a world uh, so plagued with, uh, with sin and the relativism and the uh, evolutionary ethics that so much of what has happened uh, is based on? Yes, we'll, we'll be hearing about repealing the, uh, the gun uh, laws and, and so forth, laws that even allow... Uh, people to have guns in classrooms, in parks. Uh, but the problem is not the gun culture. Yes, it's maybe a problem of culture, culture of violence, but it goes far beyond that. And maybe we'll lean towards that uh, this morning. The prophet Isaiah, where Pastor Matt started last Sunday in this series on Christmas, a season of whatever, uh, the prophet Isaiah wrote 730 years before the birth of Christ, saying that there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Those are the two regions in northern uh, Israel, uh, actually covering Galilee. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea. That's the, basically the area, the road coming up through Israel uh, along the Mediterranean Sea. And the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Notice that I changed the tense of the verb. He will make. Because uh, Isaiah, a prophet, is prophesying something for the future. He is so certain it's going to happen that he puts the verbs in the past tense. And so we call these verbs here prophetic future. And so in, in essence, for us, we could well be reading them with a future tense. Mono says, he goes on and he says in verse 2, the people who walked in darkness, living in this area of Galilee, will see a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them will shine light. You will multiply the nation. You will increase its joy. They will rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And then last Sunday as well, Pastor Matt referred to verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah. 
For unto us a child will be born. To us a son will be given. And the government shall be. I don't know why the text puts in a future tense there. It should, uh, should be the, uh, this uh, prophetic tense. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be, shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Darkness. Joylessness. But peace, light will come. But where is the peace? Where is the joy? The angel said to the shepherds, uh, Do not fear, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all the people. But where is this joy? Where is the peace? Surely we find ourselves in great pain. So much persecution, so much uh, suffering inflicted by government. Where is the peace? And yet in the midst of pain, there is peace. George Duhaney. You've seen him come with his family and sitting right up here at the, uh, the front. Um, we don't know how much time the Lord will give him. And yet he says, yesterday he says, I am at peace. Where is the joy? And yet in the midst of pain and suffering, ones have found joy. We experienced that last Sunday. Uh, didn't we, in the baptism of uh, uh, Yvette. Uh, I think Yvette is here somewhere. Uh, what a wonderful testimony that uh, was in English. Thank you, Yvette, uh, even though French is her main language. And then uh, Erin. Um, wasn't that glorious to hear her uh, testimony? Well done. Extend that well done to Erin. To uh, I guess I think she's probably... Uh, away for for Christmas. So ones have found joy in the midst of uh, pain. Ones have found uh, peace in the midst of suffering. And I find it so interesting that very often in the Old Testament that God reveals the light and joy of a coming Messiah against a backdrop of darkness and despair. And so it is when we turn to Luke chapter 2. And if you would do so this morning, to Luke chapter 2 as we consider this subject of joy. Christmas, a season of joy. And how can we find joy in the midst of such uh, darkness and joylessness? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have your word before us. We have your spirit in us and among us. May that spirit take the words of these pages, drive them home to our heart, 
to our hearts that we might be transformed, not just informed, but to go from this place with a new excitement, a newfound joy that can only come in knowing Christ as Savior. For we pray in his name. Amen. Reading at Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Very often in scriptures, the presence of joy and light comes in the midst of pain. If I get off track this morning, the big idea is just under the heading and the reference on the back of your bulletin. The promise of joy often comes in the presence of pain. The presence of pain can be transformed by the experience of joy. We read over, we slide over these words in Luke chapter 2 and not realize what the culture was like when the angel brought this announcement of uh, good news, great news uh, to the world. It was a, a time of despair and darkness and joylessness. And so I hope to be able to kind of paint a picture for you uh, this morning of the uh, um, imperial cult of the emperor that was so suasive and powerful at that time, and then to move on to the the culture of the Roman Empire and then the personal situations and circumstances of, um, of Mary. And I would love to spend my time delving into all of that, uh, all our time on just the very first point, but I know that uh, transformation is more important than information. Uh, to go from this place changed rather than just being packed full of 
uh, more information about uh, Julius Caesar or Caesar Augustus or whatever, even though their lives are so interesting to, uh, to study. So, let's begin, uh, first of all, thinking in the first two verses of our text, the, the, the grip of imperial Rome and the cult of the emperor uh, that existed. We read in the text, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Caesar Augustus. What a, a character. He was a, the adopted son of Julius Caesar. You've heard of him through Shakespeare. Uh, Julius Caesar was murdered in uh, 44 B.C. Uh, when uh, Gaius Octavius, this is the son, this is the man we just uh, called Caesar Augustus, his name was um, uh, Gaius, he was in uh, Athens, Greece, at school, only 18 years of age. So he hustles back to Rome into the situation of the, the murder of, of uh, Julius. And to make a long story short, in about the 15 years uh, following that, he brings together the Roman Empire that was already starting to uh, decay, uh, decay, fall apart, and, and so forth. But there were other rivals, interior uh, rivals, that he had to do away with. There were external forces, wars, nations to be conquered. And gradually over those uh, uh, 10, 12, 14 years or so, um, he established himself as the undisputed uh, leader of the Roman Republic. The, the Republic was sort of unfolding like a scroll as he conquered uh, territory from Spain all the way to Syria, from the north uh, and the Gauls and so forth, and down to um, uh, North Africa and, uh, and whatnot. After he conquered this, uh, all this uh, territory and removed all rivals to his leadership, he um, decided that his name... Now, uh, uh, Gaius Octavius Caesar, because he had been adopted, and Caesar, you see, is just a family name, uh, didn't mean anything more than that, but it gradually took on the meaning of ruler, the word, the name Caesar coming down to us in the form of Kaiser and Tsar uh, uh, today. But that wasn't good enough for him. And so he took a Latin word, uh, Oger, from which we get the, uh, you'll recognize it, uh, perhaps. But he made up a new name for himself, uh, Augustus. And so he became Gaius Octavius Caesar Augustus, the exalted ruler. He even took uh, one of the months of the year, uh, Sextilis, and changed its name to August after himself. He wasn't content with just being a normal human being, but cultivated the idea of being considered divine. And so the oldest uh, undisputed refer uh, reference actually comes from about 29 um, B.C., uh, when uh, the provincial rulers in what is now Turkey, in the city of Pergamum, Maybe you recognize that as one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. 
when the rulers uh, there uh, decided to uh, consider formally, publicly, um, Caesar as a god. And they uh, wrote uh, that uh, obviously that the gods had uh, uh, all these false gods of Zeus and whatnot had invested their um, power on this um, uh, individual. And so they established the the imperial cult. They actually wedded uh, Caesar as a god in with uh, Roma, the, the goddess of the city of Rome, and built a temple there. In 9 BC, they erected a stone pillar with these words um, uh, on it. Uh, Greeks in the province of Asia expressed gratitude for the Savior... Addressed concerning Caesar Augustus, the Savior who put an end of war and established peace. He has exceeded the hopes of all who anticipated good tidings and used those words from Luke chapter 2 that the angel used, bringing uh, words of uh, uh, good news. This was Caesar. This was the cult that surrounded him. We could go on and on about uh, the things that he uh, did, but let me just uh, stop uh, at, uh, at that and say on your page there, the joy will never be found in all the false gods and cults of this age. Joy will never be experienced by following after the worldview and the, all the isms that we uh, hear about uh, today, relativism and atheism and materialism and consumerism and uh, every other uh, ism that you can think of, they will never bring peace. Communism was a worldview that existed. Um, it still exists. Where is the peace and joy in communism? Uh, China. You know one of the reasons that has been actually documented as to why Christianity took off so uh, quickly through after the missionaries were expelled in the mid-20th century from China and, uh, and so forth is there's no joy in communism. And the joyfulness was attract, uh, uh, attractive. Christians who uh, ha- had joy and they uh, drew others to them. Uh, the new atheists of... Dawkins and Dennett and Hitchens and Harris and and now this Lawrence uh, Krauss writing a universe from nothing. Have you watched any of their debates? Have you followed some of their speeches? If you do on the internet, listen to see where where the joy is in those characters. There's no joy uh, there. Joy will never be found in all the isms and cults of this age. Rather, joy is only found in what is eternal, part B, 1B. Joy is only found in what is eternal. There are only two things on earth that are eternal. People and God's word, right? And so are we investing our lives in people? Are we experiencing salvation ourselves and then taking it to others? That, that's the only place that we're going to find Uh, joy in this world, and God's word, joy in God's word. I was intrigued uh, by the questions Pastor Matt had for the small groups two weeks ago following his sermon. And 
I was reading them over, and I mis- misread one of the uh, questions. The, uh, the question was, um, um, uh, what, what is something uh, that you are hoping to uh, get for Christmas? That's what, what I, how I read it, because he had been speaking about how the luster, the newness of gifts wears off. And so I read this question, what is something that you are uh, uh, excited about getting? And so as I read this question in the presence of those in our small group, I read it a second time, and I thought, oh, I misread that. Um, What is something that you are expecting to give, that you are excited about giving this Christmas? And I thought, no one's going to answer that question. One in our group, whom we'll name Emma, uh, just to keep her identity non-secret, says, I'm excited about giving a Nepalese Bible to someone that she's been witnessing to over the last uh, uh, several weeks. My, God's Word. Can you ever see, can you think about the luster of that gift wearing off? Every time that... uh, Emma meets with this lady every time they open God's word together, every time Emma prays uh, for this Nepalese lady. Uh, the joy is going to be restored. Uh, it's going to be there because God that uh, has his word now in the hands of that individual and God can, use, through his spirit, take that word and put it into her uh, heart. Joy is only found in what is eternal. Last evening, late afternoon, I was visiting George Duhaney, and Psalm 32, actually Psalm 30 and Psalm 32, both those psalms uh, are amazing. A joy, a weeping will last only for a night, but joy comes in the morning, Psalm uh, 30. And Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Three words describing sin there, and they're all very different. Three words describing God's forgiveness, and they're all very uh, different. Explain the totality of forgiveness that we have in knowing Christ as our Savior. No wonder the psalm Uh, 32 ends with verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. My wife and I have been spending some time with a a Muslim couple from Iran over this past uh, year. And our last uh, uh, time together with them, uh, three weeks ago, I guess, now, we were studying uh, heaven and hell from the Bible and as presented in the Quran. And do you realize how terrible, how horrid the images of hell are in the, in the Koran? It, I mean, if you think the Bible uh, is bad enough with uh, talking about wailing and gnashing of teeth, read the Koran. And yet Muslims have no assurance that when they stand before Allah on the day of judgment that they can be accepted uh, into to heaven. It's a day that they are dreading. There can be no joy in um, Islam, knowing if you do not know that your sins are forgiven 
And we were just rejoiced. George, last night, was just rejoicing, amazed that God should have forgiven him and adopted him into his family. Joy can only be found in what is eternal, eternal life in Jesus Christ. The grip of, the, of imperial Rome. But secondly, not only the, the grip of this cult, the emperor cult, brought great pressure and pain uh, on people, but also the grasp of the oppressive Roman culture. And moving on in our text in Luke chapter uh, 2 there, this decree from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered or taxed. And so, verse 3, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed. The grip of the culture, this registering, this taxation, perhaps you have it translated, or or a, a census and so forth, was for the purpose of taxation. The purpose of taxation was to have money to send to Caesar, to Rome, to sustain an oppressive, exploitive, extravagant culture in that city. In the book of uh, uh, Revelation, we don't realize that so much of, in Revelation is written against the, uh, this pervasive uh, Uh, cult of the emperor, but also the culture. And uh, so uh, John, writing in in Revelation chapter 18, uh, verse 12, says, talks about this in uh, the consumption of goods and so forth, Um, cargoes of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, of all kinds of Uh, Articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, on and on it goes. Uh, Wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, and chariots, and slaves. And John, sitting on the Isle of Patmos, could see all these uh, ships going past on their way to Rome, taking the goods of, uh, of the empire, exploiting the land of the empire to feed this appetite in, in Rome. Um, grain, it's interesting that this mentions grain uh, here. 400,000 tons of grain per year was sent to Rome from places like in Greece and present-day Turkey. And those areas, therefore, didn't have the food. So how, where did the people in Turkey uh, Asia Minor, known then, get their grain from. Well, they had to go to Egypt, up around the Black Sea, and so grain for them was very expensive. All their grain was going to Rome. And guess how much uh, grain cost in Rome? Nothing. Caesar gave it to the families in Rome. And all kinds of other uh, excesses there. And to say nothing of the, uh, the violence uh, in, in that uh, culture. If we indeed think uh, what happened on, on Friday was bad, 
begin to read about the violence that was uh, supported in the uh, in Rome itself, let alone the exploitation of slaves, getting the marble in Spain, um, and um, no marble from Greece was gold in Spain. Slaves dying there and so forth, uh, all kinds of uh, uh, sadness and sorrow. But right in Rome itself, in, even uh, probably by about the time that Luke was writing his gospel here, about the mid first uh, century, Claudius was the uh, emperor. And by his time and his rule, there were 159 days of the year that were holidays in Rome. And 93 of those were dedicated to uh, sports. And most of the sports had violence in them, that the losers were killed. Uh, the chariot races, uh, you tried to do in the other people and, and kill them with all the spikes on your uh, chariot wheels and so forth. Uh, that was the culture. Not only that, but uh, in, in the first century, Christians did not want to become part of the, uh, of the army, the imperial army, because they had to swear allegiance to Julius Caesar, uh, to, uh, to Caesar, whatever his name was. And they had to say, uh, Caesar is Lord. But they, only apply, they wanted to apply the term Lord only to Jesus, so they wouldn't join the army but they would become business people. And if you wanted a contract, or if you had boats and you uh, wanted to send goods to Rome, you had to be a member of the merchant's cult. And the cults were all tied up with emperor worship. So you had to give uh, donations to the cult of Roma and of Caesar. And this is, it stands so much behind uh, Revelation. Revelation 18, if you still have your Bible open there, verse 4, where uh, the, the message is, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. All that to say, this was the culture uh, surrounding uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. It was a decadent, exploitive, extravagant, pagan, godless culture. And into that culture... A baby is born. Joy will never be found by hoping to transform culture. I'd love to talk more about that. You know, it's, uh, maybe just one illustration. Some years ago, some of the pastors in this area, we would meet thinking, what, what can we do uh, in this uh, area to, um, you know, as far as, social housing and food and food bank and, and whatnot. And there was a passionate young man from living over in the Glebe, and he came to address us. He was doing something in the Glebe. He came to speak to us, and a couple of months later, he came back and spoke to us again. Two or three months after that, I noticed his obituary in the Ottawa Citizen. And so I inquired. And... Part of the note that he left behind was that he did not see people uh, responding to his message. He wasn't seeing a change in the culture, and he couldn't handle it. And 
no matter, we're not going to see the changes in the United States or this land or whatever to see this uh, gun uh, violence uh, reduced. Yes, we can do what we can. We seek peace. We strive for justice. We try and uh, help the poor. But ultimately, joy will never be found by hoping that the culture will be transformed. Joy is found only in what is internal. First, that conversion that I was speaking of already, uh, our sins being forgiven and having that joy, but then as we come to know Christ as our Savior, he truly becomes Lord of our lives. There's a transformation that happens inside of us, in our minds. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and, and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul Little says, God's will is not so much like a a lightning bolt from the sky, but like a scroll um, unrolled a day at a time. How we need that transformation in our minds. We heard uh, just even this morning on this uh, series of, uh, that we've been having Sunday mornings, uh, this Dr. Meyer saying, the heart cannot exult or cannot be joyful in what the mind rejects. Oh, how we need that transformation of our minds. Uh, thirdly, Not only the grip of the cult, not only the grasp of the culture, but the grief of distressing circumstances surrounding uh, the birth of the Lord Jesus. I'm reading again from Luke chapter 2 and verse 6, backing up one phrase. Mary, betrothed, who was with child, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. That phrase has taken on um, metaphor, metaphoric value, no place in the inn, meaning no place in our hearts for the Lord Jesus. But think of Mary's situation there, no place uh, in the inn. Imagine uh, the distress, the disappointment, uh, the, dis- the discomfort of travel while you're um, uh, pregnant, uh, the disappointment of getting turned away by the innkeeper. Did he not notice that she was pregnant? Or maybe just, uh, well, more just the male, that male side of things that were oblivious to certain things, I don't know. Uh, but the dishonor of being shunted off to... Uh, to a barn-like structure or a cave wherever the the Lord Jesus was born. So imagine those um, uh, conditions. My point to make here is that joy can never be found by waiting for circumstances to improve. You may find yourself this Christmas in very blue circumstances. You're experiencing a blue Christmas. Those in new uh, town will be experiencing a experiencing a black Christmas. 
Joy will not come by hoping for circumstances to improve. We do what we can. We seek counsel. We uh, seek to implement uh, uh, certain new practices at Christmas, perhaps. You know, maybe a uh, spouse has been unfaithful. A child uh, has wandered uh, away. Um, we can do something new. We can invite university students uh, to this uh, Friends for Dinner program that's underway uh, here in Ottawa for this uh, uh, Christmas. But the joy we're seeking for to overcome the darkness will never be found by waiting for circumstances to improve. Joy is only found in a continual intimacy with the one who is absolutely faithful, that is, the Lord Jesus. This intimacy, abiding in Christ, that um, John 15 uh, speaks uh, so uh, wonderfully of. Abiding in the vine. He is the vine. We are the branches. How we need to kind of uh, think of some trouble spot, some irreversible uh, circumstance, some irresolvable uh, irritation, And just give that to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to abide in you and wait your time uh, to bring relief. Well, what was the shepherd's response? We know it so well there in the text when the angels said, I bring you um, good news of great joy and here's a sign. You can go and, and investigate it. And so what did the shepherds do when the angel went away? Verse 15 uh, into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, all of this is foolishness. We're going to wallow in our, experience, uh, our circumstances and so forth, uh, the, the darkness, the gloom. No, they didn't say that. They said, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the same that has been told uh, uh, concerning them, this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Uh, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen, heard and seen, as it had been told them. Joy can never be, never be found by wallowing in the circumstances uh, in which you may find yourselves. Joy is only found in responding to the good news of great joy, which is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, joy just doesn't happen. Joy, in a sense, has to be chosen, has to be continually uh, chosen. It has to be based on, as the chorus, uh, the song uh, said that I missed this morning, uh, the the one song saying, uh, a throne in a manger, a cross in a cradle. Uh, Joy will only be found by taking that throne out of the, uh, uh, the manger and letting it shadow your life. Joy will only be found by taking the cross out of the cradle and having it resident in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ. May the warring world, the um, song of the angels, not be uh, stunted in your 
life uh, because there's a war in your soul. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow in prayer. And what I'd like you to do is just to make your own prayer and just perhaps focus on, on one thing. Maybe there's some way that you've been compromising with culture. Maybe there's some way that you have been following the, uh, the occult of this new age, doubting perhaps the authenticity of Christianity, wavering, thinking about atheism, relativism. Maybe there's something that you're, some circumstance that you're not giving to the Lord. Maybe it's just a matter of not abiding in him. And you know, yes, Lord, that area in my life needs to be turned over to to him. Whatever comes to mind, bring that to the Lord and make some commitment today. Lord, even as the choir sang, that hope burns a light that shatters the night. Lord, I know that joy can come in the darkest of circumstances, situations, all the complexities of, uh, of life. I would pray, Father, that your joy might be experienced in each heart here, by each heart here, and that Christmas might not be a season of sadness, but a season of joy, because you are the one abiding in all circumstances, overruling every situation for the sake of your glory, in our Savior's name. Amen.